Hey guys, how are you? Um, Eric Bramlett, and I'm here with Max Lehman. Uh, this is hey guys. It's, uh, What's Your Angle? Today, we're going to discuss the 2023 real estate and mortgage market. We're going to recap that. We will also discuss the 2024 market and market predictions. Uh, knock on wood, we get some of those right. Um, and, you know, as always, we're going to provide some actionable insights, uh, what industry professionals uh, should focus on moving into this this year and in 2024. So Max, thanks so much. I mean, so, you know, I could guess we do this all the time, but I always enjoy sitting down with you and it's been a bit. We haven't seen each other since before the holidays. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's good to see you. It's good to be here. Uh, your office looks a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got some boxes in the background. What's going on? You get demoted? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, I, I got demoted on a janitor. No, we, we, had, we hired somebody else and we're in this office transition right now. So um, I got pushed into uh, the room actually where I keep my snowboard and biking stuff. Um, <laughs> you're on, on office space, the stapler guy. Now they're like trying yeah. to fire him. And uh, so they kept like moving him into the worse and worse offices. And I feel like that's what Bailey and Shelby are doing to me right now. So, yeah, I mean, this might be one of my last podcasts <laughs> with the guys. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, welcome back. Happy, uh, happy new year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Happy new year to you. Um, it looks like you guys had had a good time. I know had a had a good time as well. So. Yeah, good, good, good. Great. Well, uh, yeah, man. Let's uh, let's get into it. I'm excited. First uh, first podcast of the year. So let's yeah. Go. Well, I think um, this one probably is is best for you to kick it off. Um, you know, everybody here cares a lot about the real estate market. Uh, obviously, cares a lot about the mortgage market as well. But the real estate market really you know, started declining considerably in mid 2022. And it was mortgage rates that, that did that. So do you mind, I mean, sharing what, what did we see in 2023 in the mortgage market? What happened? Uh, well, it got bad. <laughs> uh, rates, uh, obviously rates, uh, everybody thought going into last year, rates were going to be significantly better. Uh, they were not. Um, we, uh, bottomed in February, the beginning of February, um, at, uh, 5.99 and everybody got really excited. I know I did and, uh, all of that. And then rates really, uh, they started to tick up. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, I'm just pulling some charts up here. Sure. We talk a lot about the 10 year treasury and the spreads between that. Um, I want to share my screen just so I can show y'all some stuff here. Great. Um, let me, uh, should I do this right? Uh, share. There we go. Perfect. Okay. There we go. Um, so this is the 10-year treasury. And, you know, this is kind of going back, uh, really back to February of 2023, uh, kind of right here where we started to bottom. And you can see in October, that's where we really started to peak around 5%. Um, so, sorry to, to, you know, cut you off for a second, but uh, so this is the 10-year treasury. And can you explain the the relationship between the 10-year treasury and, and mortgage rates? Yeah. So that's where I'm going. They, uh, there's sorry. always this, uh, if any of you follow Logan Motoshami, he likes to call it the, uh, the dance between the 10-year and the 30-year fixed. But that spread between the 10-year treasury and the 30-year fixed rate historically is around 1.75 to two points. Okay. Um, you know, so back in COVID when the 10 year was at zero, uh, rates were, or, you know, half a point rates were 
two and a half point, about two and a half percent. Really, about May of 22, we started seeing these spreads widen. Why? Because the uh, the Fed stopped buying and started running off the balance sheet, stopped buying as much in mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, all of those things, which caused the spread to widen. So now we've gotten to this point where the spread between the 10-year treasury and the 30-year fixed rate is closer to 2.75 to three points. At some point, and I do think that that's going to happen this year, we will start to see that spread narrow. Um, but what happened last year, you know, we were, we were kind of at this bottom here um, and things were, things were looking pretty good and, and, and then we shot up. So I've got this other screen uh, as well that I can share. Um, it's not my favorite. I, I can't do a candle, candle graph, but you get the right. idea. I mean, this is where the 30-year rate was on the – flip this here – on the uh, – this is a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, you can see last week. Uh, and this is the Freddie Mac uh, average rate. Um, typically, this has about a half to three-quarters of, of a point in it, but you can kind of see where it is. Uh, so last week, it was 6.6. 6. Um, but you come back to uh, February of 23, which is right about here. Uh, and you see the average rate was up here, 6.1, uh, about 6.12. Um, so rates just continued to get worse. And if you look on the left, as rates are getting worse, the 10-year the is climbing. Um, so that, you know, in a nutshell, kind of went the opposite way of what we thought. Um, you know, as lenders, we always preached, uh, rates follow inflation, rates follow inflation, rates follow inflation. That didn't really happen because the rate of inflation came down, you know, in July, June, July of 22, we were around 9%. Uh, and then last year, you know, it's closer to three and a half, four percent 4% around that time. The issue is rates should have been higher in 22 than they were. And so we were kind of playing catch up. And these last two years, really, when you look at from a volume perspective and a transaction perspective, at least on the mortgage side, we did about eight to 10 years worth of business in two years. And so that's got to, you know, that's got to correct itself and come down. Um, so far this year, and really back starting December 12th, 13th is when we saw that initial drop in rates. Um, and we've really been maintaining under 7%. Uh, for those of y'all that, that, listen to me often, you know, I like to follow mortgage news daily. Um, and this really shows you kind of the average rate on a daily basis. And you can see we've kind of started to tick back up a little bit uh, down from our lows. Um, but just like anything, there was such a massive move down. There's all nothing moves in a straight line. And it, there's always corrective patterns that that evolve. What I'm keeping my eye on right now on this 10 year treasury, and let me just flip back over here. What I'm really keeping my eye on from the daily level is this level that we're at right now. Um, so we're right, this 4.15 level is, is pretty key. You can see this red line here is the 50 EMA uh, exponential moving average. And we really want to try to stay under that. We've, we've come up here and we've stayed under one, two, three, four. We're on the fifth day kind of here. Uh, last Friday, we spiked over it, but we actually closed underneath. So that was, that was good. So as long as we stay under here, I think we'll start to see a little bit more downward pressure. Um, and we've got another pivot point down here about 3.786. So that'll be good for rates. So this is something that I'm keeping an eye on daily and something that we'll want to watch moving forward into this year. Right. 
So um, Grayson, I mean, question for you. You said that typically rates follow inflation. So when inflation drops, rates rates drop. I, I've always been under the understanding that, you know, rates are, they'll, they'll follow the 10-year treasury note, obviously, which is following inflation, but that generally follows, uh, you know, the, the Fed rate. Um, does it typically follow, does the 10-year T-note typically follow the Fed rate? I'm sorry, typically follow inflation down because the Fed typically eases whenever inflation Whenever inflation goes down, is it that can. Why? I mean, really, this all comes down to what are what are bonds? What's bonds price? What are bonds pricing at? Right? right. And and what are expectations? You know, when you look at mortgage rates specifically, <laughs> one of the worst things as a lender is when the Fed does start cutting rates. Immediately, everybody thinks mortgage rates are better, right? Um, and that that's just not true. Mortgage rates are going to move based on what the Fed says is going to happen, right? It's the Fed does not control mortgage rates, but how does the market look at what the Fed's saying and what the Fed's doing? Um, you know, right now, part of rates, part of the reason rates are getting worse is because the expectation of rate cuts happening in March are getting less and less. You right. know, the, the, the Fed came out last year and said, rates, uh, we're going to cut rates three times next year. But the market heard six times, right. and I, and like the market and the market is not listening to the Fed. And the one thing that I can promise you is the Fed does not play. Right. They they have shown a history of when they say they're going to do something, they 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 do it. They're not really deviating from their plan. Um, I stopped sharing my screen. I want to show you this because this is super interesting to me. Um, let me get back here. Uh, so, so this is ahead. the CME Fed watch. And when you look at it, right. these blue, everything in blue is expecting a rate cut. Uh, th there was the expectation of a rate cut in, in March. And now you can see it's really closer to May. It's really and funny. I had that same screen pulled up while you were talking to see when it, when it had adjusted. And it was, it was something like an 80% consensus of, uh, of the Fed cutting rates. This was like three weeks ago. 80% consensus they were going to start cutting in March. As you said, that seemed really optimistic. I will say this, you know, rates, mortgage rates staying sub seven seems to me that's, that's kind of what we need. Uh, I'm happy to see that the rates are sub seven with the expectation of, with the market expecting rate cuts in, in May, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Do you, think I, we'll, do you think we'll stay sub seven into, into Q1? I do. Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, we're kind of, approaching there. But the other thing to realize too, is when we talk about every, everybody's got a different metric. So you look at the Freddie Mac weekly average versus mortgage news, daily, daily average. They're all a little bit different versus MBS, uh, weekly, uh, surveys that get put out. They're all a little bit different in the metrics, um, that they use. I, I personally like mortgage news daily, the best a, right. because it's daily B they're very consistent. It's a 780 credit. It's an owner occupied 780 credit score, 25% down, basically with a point. Um, so, I, like, that's a really good way to track it. And I think as long as that's the measure, I do think that staying under seven is really likely. Um, right. There's a lot of people forecasting rates getting the average rate getting down to the low six. Uh, Fannie Mae actually put out a deal just the other day. They revised their expectations to drop below six by the end of the year. Does it happen? Does it not? You know, I think as long as we stay in the sixes, life is going to be okay.
Right. Um, con- consumers are very much aware of where <laughs> rates are. Uh, you know, the, the idea that rates are going to jump another point uh, this year, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I, mean, I think it's that would take an event, right? I mean, the, the Fed would have sure. to start raising again. I mean, they'd have to get really hawkish for that to happen. Yeah. And so, you know, I just, I feel like we've already started seeing the signs, even in through December, you know, from a closings perspective, November last year was the worst. Um, most loan officers I talked to, uh, in both at Loan People and elsewhere, had an abysmal November. Um, I mean, it was terrible. But applications kind of started picking up a little bit. And it all makes sense because rates, you know, peaked in October. Um, and you love to talk about uh, leading indicators, right. higher rates, lower applications. That translates to 30 days down the road. So, um, you know, as we've come in through December and into January, and some of y'all have heard me say this before, but, you know, from an applications perspective, MBA uh, or MBS rather, uh, sorry, MBA, I just saw uh, was up, uh, you know, about 34% uh, month over month uh, over the last four weeks. Um, we've actually been doing a little bit better. We're up uh, as, as a company about 60% right. uh, over December. And even from January of last year, we're up about 10% um, on, on new applications, new leads. Well, uh, but contract locks are up, volumes up, our pipelines larger than it was. Um, so all of those things are we're really seeing a lot of good momentum. Yeah. So, and I think that there, there are three things that will come into play in any market recovery and that'll be, uh, you know, jobs. We need to see jobs come back, uh, mortgage rates, which we discuss constantly and then pent up demand. Right. So, you know, people generally move because of life events and with the exception of jobs, life events don't stop whenever, whenever the economy declines, people still get married. They still have babies, kids still move out of the house, things like that. When rates are not good, it's very easy to delay that move because of that life event, but that life event continues to apply pressure. So if rates don't go up this year, we will see some pent-up demand return. If rates you know, drop some, we'll see even more. If they drop precipitously, then we'll see a ton. But those life events are what really drive, are what really drive. and this pent-up demand, I think, is what you're seeing and it's what we're seeing as well. We are seeing a big uptick in inbound calls, inbound inquiries, things like that. Right now, it bodes really well for the spring. And we'll talk about the election later. Um, but from a strategy perspective, I think it makes a lot of sense to, to and I don't really want to go into it too deeply, but make hay right now, um, because I do think we're going to see, uh, you know, decline in demand as we get into as we get into the election. So, uh, yeah, we'll see, you know, um, and we'll talk about that here in a bit. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it's um, what I am curious about. And you and I haven't really talked about it. Um, but, you know, when I talk to a lot of agents, you go back to October, November, December, people wanting to list their house. And, and generally, people don't want you listing agents say don't list your house till the spring. Um, that's, you know, that's going to be better than going January, February. But it does seem to me and talking to a lot of different agents that there is a massive amount of uh, inventory that's about to hit the market yeah. uh, in you know, February, mid and February into beginning of March. And I think a lot of the idea was people thinking rates might be sub six by then. Um, and I don't know that that's really going to be the case. So I'm curious, what do you think happens? Uh, do you see all that inventory still hitting? And what do you think that does from a buyer's versus seller's type market with rates where they are? 
Yeah. So, you know, you have to understand that, that uh, demand and supply are two separate components that, that you know, interact and, and create, you know, pricing, right? So um, the demand is what we're talking about right now. And, and I do think demand increases. Uh, if we have flat or declining mortgage rates, if, uh, you know, we have pent-up demand coming back in and then jobs, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, supply side is something that's interesting. It's harder to predict, you know, how many of these folks that failed in 2023 will try again in 2024. Uh, some of them, I don't know the number. It'd be interesting to try to crunch it. Some of them converted to landlord. They converted to becoming a landlord, right? Um, a lot of these folks that don't have that much pressure, you know, you become a landlord when you have to, when you can't sell for whatever price you need or want. Um, you say, fine, we'll kick a can down the road and we're going to rent this out. So those are off the market for at least a year. So they won't come back and they won't come back in 2024. Um, wheels are turning right now. Uh, we actually could. Uh, crunch the database and figure out how many of those how many of those has happened and man probably will do that um but no it's it's those that that chose not to sell in 2023 and i say chose yeah. because it is a choice right you can sell any property um whenever you want to it's literally price uh price and time right um so i don't know how many of them come back you you assume a lot of them do uh you could probably make some educated guesses and say 80 percent, 90 percent, something like that and i think that you can assume that uh, that will be the ex excess inventory that we had in 2023. You can just look at it and say, okay, we had this many units come on. We probably are going to have, you know, this many units come on in excess this next year. Um, how that balances out with demand, not sure. Um, how yeah. that works out, that, that affects the consumer more than, more than anything, because that's what's going to drive price. And I do, uh, my intuition tells me that we're not going to see a lot of price movement in 2024. Um, if we see any, it probably will be up a little bit. Uh, bodes really well for industry professionals, though, because if there is more inventory on the market um, and, you know, there are willing buyers in the market uh, that can find what they want, then there, there will be more deals. And ultimately, uh, since, you know, we're speaking to mostly industry professionals here, the, the, the market in 2023 really kicked everybody's ass, um, didn't do a whole lot to the consumer, right? Pricing didn't move yep. just a whole lot. We were affected, you know, pretty dramatically. Yep. Yep. Well, and you know, what's interesting too, we're seeing a lot of consumers on that perspective that we're waiting for rates to come down, right. rates to come down. I'm going to wait till they're in the fours. I'm going to wait till they're in the fives. They're starting to come out and realizing like, this is kind of where rates are. Right. And maybe they get a little bit lower, maybe not, but you know, everybody's really gotten used to that. So, you know, I think that that, that bodes well, as far as life events go, you know, I, I talked to a friend yesterday who was thinking about moving they're commuting an hour and they were thinking about moving last year and just didn't pull the trigger because rates 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 and now they're like we don't no, have a choice like that, there's more yeah. kids in the house now like they they, they don't have a choice they have to um yeah. and i think there's going to be you know people waiting because of rates uh can only last so long to your point and and you're not going to outrun life events so it, exactly. i think that does i think that bodes well for us here yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, we talk a lot about ninja selling and that that actually is not the whole like rate thing, uh, but that's an example that Larry Kendall talks about in his book about a dad at soccer practice uh, that told him he was, you know, just got a new job that was 30 minutes away. And he said, oh, you know, mental note, this guy's going to move in the next six to 12 months. Uh, commutes are terrible. And if you're used to a short commute, it, it, it's, you know, a pretty impactful thing to all of a sudden have a long commute. How much is that worth to you? Um, it becomes worth more and more in, in, you know, in the opposite direction. Like you're willing to pay more to have a decent commute, the longer you're making that commute, you think about it every, every day. It's an excellent, excellent example. Man. So, yep. Yep. So, right so going back to what happened in, in 2023, uh, you know, it's important to differentiate 
uh, what happened to the consumer and what happened to the industry professional. And it's, it's very important for us that whenever we communicate messaging to the consumer that we don't allow our own feelings and biases to, you know, tell people like, hey, the market's terrible, things like that. There's certainly a decreased demand, no question about it. But there's also, there was a lot less supply, a lot lower supply in, uh, in 2023. And we sent a newsletter out this morning, uh, consumer facing, a lot of industry guys also get, um, that showed that if you look at the average in 2022, average price, and the average price in 2023, it dropped something like 8%, right? And um, that's not a ton. In the grand scheme of things, that's about a year and a half of appreciation in, mm -hmm. in Austin. Um, consumers care about, can I sell my house and how long will it take? And certainly it took longer to sell, to sell your house. But if the messaging to the consumer is that, Hey, the market's absolutely awful. That's not true, uh, from their, from their perspective, you know, average 2022 to 2023, it dropped only, you know, only, only 8%. And I'll pull up, uh, the Jan to December numbers in just a second. And I can tell you guys what that looks like. It's even rosier whenever you look at where, where was the market in January? of 2023 and where did it finish in December of 2023? And I think it was almost flat. So let me look at that mm -hmm. really quickly. Um, are you seeing, you know, are you seeing a lot of uh, sellers, buyers, people that are moving up, choose not to move because of, uh, because of, because of their value or anything like that? No, that's not really anything that I'm seeing or hearing. Um, value's not, value's not really a thing. It's, um, you know, it, it's life events. It's, this just needs to happen. If anything, there are more and more people realizing that you're getting a better deal today than you're going to get 12, 18, 24 months from now. Right. And, you know, we all started the whole industry, <laughs> lenders, realtors, anybody with the pulse, you know, date the house or date, date the rate, marry the house, you know, got put out there. Uh, and you know, I think we all overdid it a little bit with that, but consumers really are starting to see like, okay, this is, this is going to happen. Um, so let me get this, let me get this better price now. And you're still seeing, at least on our end, I'm sure on yours too, sellers are, they're paying. I mean, they're paying closing costs. They're permanent buy downs, temporary buy downs. Also like people can negotiate. It really reminds me of, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, um, even still in that perspective a little bit. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, I follow a lot of meme accounts and there's the, <laughs> some of these real estate memes are like, yeah, how can it always be a great time to buy? Because it does, it does sound like a sales pitch whenever you tell folks like, no, this is really, it's a buying opportunity, but, but genuinely, genuinely it, it is a buying opportunity. Now those, those memes, uh, there's usually a lot of truth to them. Um, it's really hard for it to be both a great time to buy and a great time to sell. I mean, you've got a pretty balanced market. It's like, Hey, it's pretty okay time to do either one of those. Um, I would say certainly uh, buy, it's in the buyer's favor right now. Um, so, you know, if you need to sell, you can still succeed. You're still going to get fair market value for it, which if you look from 2019 to 2023, where we are, where we are today, that's 46% increase in value. So you're still doing great on a, not even a long-term perspective. That's a four-year perspective. Um, but you might have a bit of a difficult time. You know, you're going to have to give some concessions up. Look at it in terms of what was my overall return on investment? If you look at it from that perspective, you're going to be very, very happy. Um, you know, you've been in mortgage in Austin for a long time. I've been in real estate in Austin for a long time. If you look at it on a long-term perspective, you know, it's very hard not to be just incredibly bullish on Austin 
And, you know, I think that we will look back in not even five years, I think we'll look back in two or three years and say, wow, 2023 and 2024, sorry, 2024 was a great buying opportunity. Uh, 2023, like, wow, if you had a crystal ball, like you should have bought everything. I always say that about 2009. Um, I had a feeling in my gut, like this is a really good uh, buying opportunity. There were duplexes in Northwest Hills that were trading at 250,000 bucks. And yeah. I remember, yeah, I was looking at those going like, wow, these were selling, people were condo converting them and selling them for 250,000 aside two years before. And he looked at it and said, you know, intuitively, this is a really, really good time to buy, but it's also very scary whenever the economy is in free fall, like it was. Um, I think we will see, you know, uh, the start of the recovery, if not like probably a very firm recovery in 2024. And that's the smart time to buy whenever, you know, you're no longer going down, you're on the upswing, you're going to pay a little bit more than you did the previous year. But you have that security, you know, the sense of, hey, this is a very smart decision. I'll trade that. I would happily pay 5% more for something and know that it's not going to decline in value any day of the week uh, versus try to time it perfectly. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you never time it perfectly. Right. Um, that's when you get burned. Right. Yeah. You have to understand. I mean, timing things perfectly, it involves way more luck than it does intelligence. And if you think, oh, yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, you know, you, you look around the room, and, and if you're the if you can't find the sucker, you're the sucker. Like, uh, if, yeah. if you feel like you're the smartest guy in the room, you're probably not. You know, if you feel like it was it was due to your intelligence that you timed this perfectly, like you're not going to time the next thing perfectly. No, no chance. So that's right. Yeah. So um, to go back to it, uh, from an agent and a LO's perspective, uh, talk about that for a second. And this is where you know my my optimism kind of starts to come down a little bit, or, or at least my, my rosy outlook comes down a bit. And, you know, whenever we were looking at the market from the consumer's perspective throughout last year, which we did most, most of the time, um, it didn't really reconcile with, with what we talked about uh, with agents and, and loan officers, because talking with agents and LOs, man, it was, it was bad. Nobody's selling, nobody's selling anything. And I ran some numbers and this is where, you know, I, I can, tend to get lost in the numbers a little bit. So I'll try to simplify as, you know, as much as possible. Um, units sold were really bad, right? And if you started the business in 2019, 2020, and, and, and your perspective was 2020, 2021, um, units sold were absolutely horrible. They were down 25% from, from 2021. So 2023 to 2021, if that's your basis of comparison, uh, there were 11,000 fewer sales. Then, Okay, great. That's that's fine and dandy. Uh, 2021 wasn't a normal year. Let's say you accept that. Uh, well, let's compare it with 2019, which I think we would all agree was a normal year. Uh, units sold were still down. We're still down 17%. So almost, you know, almost, you know, a fifth fewer fewer sales. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, nobody felt busy uh, was because there were just there were a lot fewer sales. It makes perfect sense whenever you look at the you know economic fundamentals. Um, but it still doesn't feel, still doesn't feel very good. Uh, Max, it's funny, you know, you and I are now like the old guard that talks about well, back in my, when I started, I remember, I remember agents would always talk about the early eighties. You remember that in LOs? Well, we, we had 15% yeah. interest in, in the late seventies, early eighties. And you're like, oh, we man. drove around with the roller quarters in our car so we could stop at a pay phone. All of it, so. <laughs> right. So like, um, so now you and I are talking about 08 in the same way that the old timers talked about. Uh, talked about the early talked about the early 80s and and we always use 2008 as sort of our benchmark of awfulness right that was a and i and in hindsight not to deviate too much i feel like it was so bad because it lasted so long 
You know, it was it was 08 to effectively 2012 is whenever we saw the recovery, and that's a four year period. Mm -hmm. And man, it just beats you beats you down if you're if you're trying to slog through that. So, anyways, I went back to 2008. Um, somebody commented on on Facebook and said, "I heard that November of 2023 was actually worse in terms of units sold than uh, than November of 2008." Looked it up. Um, that wasn't the case, uh, but I said, well, "Look, you know, this doesn't jive because." the numbers didn't go up as much as they should have. Austin's population grew really considerably in that, in that amount of time. And um, the population grew from 2008 to 2023. It went from 1.6 million and the projected population in 2023 is going to be 2.49. So just under 2.5 million. So almost a million people. And I crunched the numbers. And if you adjust the units for population growth, there was actually a 9.5% decline. So the number of sales per person in the city or in the metro went down nine and a half percent. A lot of other assumptions you have to make here, you know, like that the number of agents went up by the same amount, whatnot, that are probably safe assumptions. But but looking at it like, hey, the number of sales um, were were really bad. What did, when I said that, I know I told you this a few weeks ago, what was your reaction to that? I mean, it felt like it, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it felt like it. And I think it's even exacerbated more on the lending side because, you know, as loan officers, you have purchase deals and you have refi deals. But refis, I mean, rates are seven, eight percent. They're basically gone. You know, eighty percent right. of the world has a mortgage rate under six. So, in addition to sales being down, um, refis are completely gone. Some loan officers are, you know, sixty, seventy, eighty percent refi. They're they're probably out of the business. And when you talk about loan officers leaving the business, that's generally who it who who left. You know. Right. Those of us that are primarily purchase business are here and will be here and thrive. But you've take and and generally the average loan officer is somewhere around twenty percent refi. <laughs> so you just take twenty percent off the top and then you cut your purchase business back. It was really bad. Right. Yeah, and I, I want to bring up margin compression in a second as well. And I know that uh, the LOs that are that are listening will understand that, but a lot of uh, real estate agents don't understand that. I know I certainly. Didn't understand how impactful it was um, until this year because you and I discussed it so much. Um, so I'll dig into mm -hmm. the numbers just a, a little bit more. So, so units yeah. sold were terrible. It, it was, hey, we we're not, you know, we we are less busy now than we were in 2008, the Great Financial Crisis, in terms of how many homes we're selling. Um, but agents are very fortunate in that, you know, our compensation is relatively pegged to the purchase price. And granted, you know, there can be some movement on uh, on on buyers agent compensation and listing agents do negotiate things like that. But generally speaking, personally, I always work at 3% on the buy side and between two and a half and 3% on the sell side, depending, right? So we're, we're, we're going to get the same amount of money most of the time. And if you look at uh, the overall volume, meaning the dollar amount traded in uh, 20, 2023 versus 2008, um, it was actually, if you adjust for population, again, uh, it was almost two and a half times. And the reason for that is that the average purchase price uh, went from 243,000 in 2008 and is 575,000 in 2023. So the purchase price went up very considerably. Units dropped by almost 10%, but the net result was a volume increase of almost two and a half times, so you know, 136, 136% increase. So agents' paychecks didn't uh, take that big of a cut. Now the morale took a huge cut. And in terms of anxiety, that took a massive, massive increase. But the paychecks are much higher now than they were. I mean, the overall pie is much higher now than it was than it was in 2008. 
Um, and that's important to remember. And we'll talk about opportunity in a bit. And the opportunity really lies in others going out of business and others doing poorly, which, you know, God bless them. But, you know, we'll try to take advantage. We'll try to take advantage of that. But on the mortgage side, I mean, it was, you think bloodbath is too strong of a word or, or no? No, no, no. I mean, it like coming into coming into October, November, December at the conferences and, and everything, you know, where I'm going, where owner operators are and all of that, you know, it was nuclear winter was the term for what was upcoming. I mean, and it, it was really bad. Volume fell so much uh, on all fronts. You know, at this point, everybody's just trying to do a loan for what they can. Um, and you have companies like it came down to who's willing to either make the least amount of money on a deal or who's willing to lose the most amount of money on a deal. Um, and it, so you take that coupled with the fact, you know, once a mortgage bank broker, whomever originates a loan, they're doing something with that loan. They're selling it to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginny Mae, maybe an aggregator, which would be, you know, a chase or a wells or whomever it is. So there's value in the loan. There's value in the servicing. Well, because rates were so high, there was no servicing value. So you can't even get any sort of premium when you go to sell this loan. So what did we see? Companies losing money left. The majority of mortgage companies lost money last year. Right. Uh, and I'm very vocal about it. We did too. Um, you know, I've shared with our company the financials and we're, we're super solvent and we're fine, but we lost money. Right. Companies that didn't lose money were able to do so because they have these very large servicing portfolios uh, that, that helped overcome that. Now, we're, we're fortunate that we now have our Fannie Freddie servicing approval and we're working on doing that. So the next time this thing comes around, we'll have a servicing portfolio and that's, that's great. Um, but what you saw from a company perspective and a loan officer perspective was massive cuts, a lot of part in, in commission. So you have loan officers that took big cuts in commission um, and made significantly less money than they even made in, I mean, in some cases, loan officers made less than they made in 2010, 2012. Right. You know, it's, it, it was really bad. And you've seen a ton of mortgage companies go out of business. Um, you know, and we're not out of the woods yet as an industry. Uh, we still need to get really through Q1 and probably even Q2 for a lot of these companies. And you're about to see a lot of companies still small companies that aren't going to make it. Um, you know, so when we talk about opportunity, you know, for for loan people and companies like mine, the opportunity is to acquire uh, some of these companies or their loan officers that that they can't make it. You know, they don't have much money left. There's they, they're not going to be able to outrun their burn rate. Um, you know, what has what we have seen in the last four to six weeks is margin compression. There's there's some relief to it. it it's by no means where the industry wants it to be, but it is getting better. Um, so I am hopeful that we'll see things hopefully normalize uh, maybe in the next three to six months. But, you know, to, to put it in perspective, from a percentage wise, I mean, if you look at from a real estate agent perspective, think about cutting your income anywhere between 25 and 75%, but still having to do the same amount of work, if not more, because everything's so much more difficult. And that's really what loan officers have been dealing with for the last year to year and a half. 
Well, so, so I will say, you know, um, I think the paycheck on, on the real estate side went down by, like, by about 20% on average. That's the size of, that's the size of the pie. This is versus 2022, yep. you know, and in terms of working harder, um, certainly, you know, whenever, whenever you look at, I think average days on market finished at around 80 at the end of the year mm -hmm. last year. And again, 2021, not a normal year, um, but average days on market were 20 and that's four times the amount of time to sell. And that, that comes to fruition on the buy side and the sell side. Your relationships with your sellers are much longer, more stress is involved. Um, buyers, I mean, thankfully have more to choose from, but there's no urgency. You know, there, there's, yeah. I, I've been in a, what I would consider a perfect market, you know, a handful of times in my career where, uh, you know, generally speaking, it takes three or four weeks to sell a house. Um, you know, buyers have properties to choose from, uh, but there's enough, there's enough urgency involved that they're ready to pull the trigger whenever, whenever they see something. And you don't, you don't get that equilibrium, you know, very often, uh, but it's pretty out of whack right now. The days on market are, are really long. So it does take a lot longer. And you see, because of the amount of stress that's involved, you know, there's more lawsuits, um, you know, there's more crazy things that happen. You have to deal with difficult personalities a lot more. So it's, but it was a really stressful year all around. I will say like who got the brunt of it, like who got the worst end of the stick here. And that's certainly LOs because, you know, if we took a 20% haircut on, on our paycheck and you guys are between 25 and 75, well, that's obviously worse. So, right. Shout out to Chris Jacobs. I would see him post on Facebook. Give your loan officer a hug today. Uh, <laughs> well, man, I, last year. <laughs> I, send you, I send you virtual hugs every day, so I didn't need that reminder. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, Go but, ahead. you know, I think I was just going to say, I mean, you know, so like we know it was bad. We know what it was, um, but there's <laughs> there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, one of the sayings we have around here is there's light at the end of the tunnel and we can tell it's not a train coming at us. Right. You know, it, it really it. I am <laughs> very optimistic about this year and what it holds for my company, for our industry for our city um you know i i feel like the worst is really really behind us 2024 is going to be good it's not going to be amazing it's going to be good and it's going to be better than what it was um, what you know and we've got we've got good momentum it's it's all perspective too so you know whenever your perspective was 2021 and then you know call it may june 2022 hit it was oh my gosh you know we just went from this absolutely insane market and now we are in a market that feels like it went to a screeching halt right well things were still selling things were still trading it just wasn't at that insane pace that we had in 2021 now we're coming off of a really really slow market in terms of units sold and we're going to see that tick up i don't think it will get back to 2019 levels this year i do think it'll return to 2019 levels in 25 or 26 um maybe 2018 levels in 25 maybe maybe 2019 but those were those were very good years. I will trade a 2019 uh, for a 2021 any day of the week because it was just a more pleasant environment in which in which to work in. To go back, uh, I, I like to say I'll give it all up for five 2018s. <laughs> just to have some, I, I wasn't this gray. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I know I, I talk about this a lot, but I have very very fond memories of 2013 and 2014. Uh, granted, that's when our company, you know, started really growing. Um, but the the really fun part was that was when we came out of the recession. Um, all of the unsuccessful agents and LOs went out of business, and there was a short period of time before everybody rushed back into the market. 
uh, to sell, I mean, to, to be an agent or be an LO and we knew everybody and it was great. You know, um, I would say we had far fewer, uh, crazy deals at that point in time because the agents were so competent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so to jump in, I know, uh, we've, we've definitely, uh, expressed some market predictions for 2024, but, and when you discussed CME FedWatch a minute ago, uh, let's, let's dig into the numbers and why you and I are, are bullish on 20, I mean, cautiously bullish, cautiously optimistic on, on 2024. And if you don't mind, I'll discuss FedWatch to start. And, uh, and then if yeah. you want to discuss mortgage, because you know, that's obviously your expertise. So I'll share my screen really quickly. And this is what, um, this is what Max, uh, shared just a moment ago. And if you guys are not familiar with CME FedWatch, um, it's a great tool to become familiar with. I, I learned of it, call it three, four months ago, and I won't shut up about it anymore. So what it does, and, and I look at these tabs across the top, I'm a simple guy and it's a little bit easier. So what they do is they, they have mark, they have predictions for the Fed rate announcement uh, for every upcoming meeting. Uh, it looks, I think it's a 12 month, a 12 month prediction. And it's obviously going to become less reliable the further out you predict. Um, so January 31st, you know, a week from now, 97% uh, consensus. Uh, that the Fed is going to hold, that they won't, they won't uh, reduce rates, they won't increase them. Uh, this is the March tab that that Max uh, mentioned earlier, and it's one that, that moved. You know, if you looked at this two, three weeks ago, uh, eighty percent consensus uh, that the Fed was going to was going to reduce rates. There was actually, I think it was like eighteen percent that thought they were going to drop it uh, a full half point. Um, that's that's obviously changed. There's now a majority consensus that they're going to hold in March. Um, personally, I think that's a good thing that that's now the consensus because I think things were a bit too bullish. In the market before, they were pricing in too many cuts. Uh, so the consensus is now that uh, May 2024 is 52%. Believe it'll be, uh, you know, they'll drop it a quarter point. Uh, one third thinks they'll drop it a half point. And then you can, I won't cycle through every single tab here, um, but you know, you can go through and see what the predictions are as you go as you go through the through the year. So more than likely, the market's correct. More than likely, the experts are correct, and um, you know, they will they will start lowering rates in 2024. Um, we all understand that there's a relatively direct correlation between, uh, you know, the Fed rate and mortgage rates and Max, I will now, you know, kick it over to you. What are your predictions for mortgage rates, which we talked about a, a bit, a little bit ago, but what do you think is going to happen in Q1? I mean, if, you, if you're brave enough to break it down either quarterly or even, you know, the first half of the year, second half of the year, um, and we all understand, I'll go ahead and give the disclaimer for Max. Um, that anytime you play a crypto ball, you can be wrong. Um, this is just his sort of expert opinion um, that he is, you know, uh, basing his decisions from. Well, I'll say this. I can confidently say, guaranteed, rates are going to do one of three things. Right. That is guaranteed. <laughs> get worse, get better, or stay the same. Right. Um, I do think... I do think that rates are going to come down this year. I think, like I said before... Q1, we're about in the range. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't see that average rate moving significantly downward. Um, I do think we're at the top of the range um, for that. But you know, the idea that rates are going to be in the fives, Q1, even Q2, I don't think so. I mean, I think that, you know, I think we're we're about here. High sixes, Q1, mid sixes, Q2 maybe low sixes Q3 and you know, who knows? So, so I it's, mean, a, it's a very straight, it's this, this whole year, it, like we're, we're definitely in uncharted territory and, and we have been, you know, but 
the, there's a couple of things. One, uh, inflation's coming down. Inflation's getting under control. Like that, that, that is a good thing. We are in an election year, and historically, when you look, rates do come down in an election year. Um, you know, so that we've got that going for us. Um, and you know, again, everything moved so drastically, so fast uh, upward. You've got to have a correction. I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's inevitable. So, you know, that's in a nutshell, that's, that's kind of where I see things. I think you're absolutely correct. And, and quite honestly, you look at what's the Fed's goal and their goal has, the stated goal was to, was to reduce inflation, right? They're, they're, they're there. Um, and then they've, you know, this fuzzy word soft landing is what they're, is what they're trying to, to accomplish. It would not be a soft landing if, uh, they guided the mortgage market into the fives in the spring of 2024. At that point in time, you have a, a very, very V-shaped rebound um, because it will, you know, whatever they do is going to affect the broader economy. Um, they really don't want to whipsaw, you know, and quite honestly, I don't either. I would, I would hate to operate in an environment where, you know, one year you have a screaming hot 2021 and then the next year you have a 2022, 2023, and then you're back to screaming hot. Um, I think that a nice, steady recovery is their goal. And, and I mean, I don't think that they've stated that, right? So I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that, I think that mortgage rates will, you know, not drop into the fives. And frankly, I don't want that. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. I mean, they're obviously what I say in public and what I say in private sometimes are, are different things. Um, you know, I don't want to be overly optimistic and give people the wrong idea. I could certainly make a case where rates are in the fives. Right by Q two, Q three. You know, I I don't know that we get this soft landing. You know, when I look at when all these employment numbers come out, um, you go back and look. Jo jobs aren't as good as they seem, especially on these original numbers. You go back and look at every report that's come out since July and maybe even before the revisions. They were they revised the, they revised them downward, and they're significantly worse. And if those were the numbers that came out initially, things wouldn't have gotten where they were. And I think they're going to continue. So even when you look at the uh, ADP and everything that came out, what, last week, it was everything beat expectations by a lot. And the market didn't flinch. Basically, the market said, yeah, right. Let's wait for the revisions. Um, you know, and so I think that, you know, like that, that does play into our favor, you know, Bad economic news, higher unemployment, um, all that, that is, unfortunately, for the people stuck in that realm, that is good for mortgage rates. So, you know, there's, there's a scenario where a lot of things can happen. But uh, Well, I, and it's interesting you, you bring up drop jobs. That's a major component of Austin's real estate market. It's a major component of, of the broader real estate market. And, you know, the, the numbers, the unemployment rate does not, accurate, does not accurately reflect, uh, you know, the the jobs experience in Austin. I mean, we, we made some hires in uh, early, early 2022, and then, um, you know, made hires again in, in late 2023, wildly different experience as an employer. You know, job market was incredibly tight in early 2022. It was much, much more employer friendly whenever we made hires in, 20, in 2023. I mean, salary was down, a uh, number of applicants was way up. And you can quantify this. And, you know, I was very happy to find the data 
on indeed.com, which I think everybody would agree has a ton of data and uh, they make it, they make it available and they, they make it available market, you know, market specific and their numbers are down they're, they're The number of job postings on indeed in the Austin Metro is down roughly 25%, depending on the month uh, versus the previous year. Um, LinkedIn, I recently found uh, they also also issue employment reports. There's a lot of hiring that's done on LinkedIn as well, and they don't uh, they don't issue reports that are market specific, but they do issue reports that are industry specific. Don't quote me on this, but I think it's something like the tech industry, I believe, was down 26 percent uh, year over year. The hiring was, and whenever you talk with friends, colleagues, whatnot that are in the tech industry or that are looking for jobs in Austin, that's the experience that you that you hear. Um, what that Calculus too is that uh, job security doesn't feel as good. So if you're considering moving up, you might hold off because there's not a lot of hiring out there. And even though you might you know, know that you do a wonderful job, there's always that thought in the back of your mind that what if I get fired? And if you get fired, it's not a great job market, right? So that causes people to hold off um, moving due to these life due to these life events. So that's the component that we're looking for. Um, I think that the writing is on the wall for mortgages. I think the mortgage rates will decline down to the low sixes or high fives, depending by the end of next year, uh, we need to see hiring come back. Since I've worked yeah. in Austin, since you worked in Austin, how many reloads do you do every year normally? I mean, I don't, uh, I don't know. It's not, it's, yeah. it's not a, it's not really a measure that we tracked. I, right. What I do know, and we talked about this just in COVID, it was very interesting. It got to the point more so than ever with everybody moving from California, Florida, where for the first time I could think of, we had to specify, are we talking the time that we're going to have a meeting? Is it central time? Is it West Coast? Is it, you know, so other than that, it's just not something we've really tracked. As, as long as I can remember, um, I've known that the San Francisco area code is 480. And the reason I know that is because whenever that phone, whenever that area code rings, you, you pick it up, you know. Um, it's not the Ludacris song. <laughs> and I can't rattle off all the area codes. But I can tell you this, if you flash a bunch of area codes in front of me, I can tell you whether to answer the phone or not. Um, that's coming from an expensive market. Answer the phone. <laughs> you know? Don't not that's answer right. the others. But uh, coming from Dallas, eh, maybe not. You know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Um, one thing that I – one measure – that, and I don't know if I've even told you this, but uh, some of our mutual friends and I talk about this. One of my metrics as to what's going on, there's a McDonald's right here at Mopac. Yes. Uh, in 2222. And at one point, their starting wage was like $25 an hour. And then we watched it come down to 21 uh, and then 18. And right now, if you drive by there today, it's $13 an hour is what they're now. Is hiring. it down to that? So I, wow. I, yeah. yeah. I yeah, always yeah. use that as, like, as, as a different example on like how you, know, you can't hire anyone at minimum wage, at, like the actual minimum wage in, in Austin. But yeah, it's funny. I think oh, you and I drive, drive by that same McDonald's all the time. And I, I have noticed that as well. I didn't realize it got yeah. above the 20s. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, sitting at 13 right now. So. Yeah, but we'll, but to go back to it, I mean, we need to see hiring come back. We need to see good jobs come back. Oh, you know, I'll tell one other story, right? Um, a few years ago when Beck started going to DOS, uh, one, one of the kids he's friends with, um, his dad actually worked at Indeed. And I have a, a past client and friend who has worked at Indeed for a long time. I said, hey, do you know this guy? He said, no, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go look for him. And he had just started working, Jim had just started working for Indeed. And then I saw him again a few months later. And I said, hey, did you ever find Justin? And uh, he said, oh, no, I don't work there anymore. I, uh, I ended up moving over to you know, some other company. Well, why would you do that? You do that because you get a better offer, you get a better salary. Whenever those events happen, uh, very easy to decide to buy a nicer house. Whenever those events are not happening, 
um, you know, harder to decide to buy a nicer house. So the lack of hiring, the lack of these good jobs in the tech sector, it directly, it directly affects us from, you know, from top to bottom. I mean, down to, you know, the executives that are moving in to, you know, moving into central Austin and buying two or $3 million houses, things like that, all the way to the really well-paid programmers that are living in Northwest Austin, you know, those, they're just not moving in. They're not being, they're, they're not, they're not getting better jobs. And so that will come back. You know, there's no way that these tech companies will stop relocating people here. It's still a very, very smart financial decision for them to do so. They built a ton of offices here. Um, it's just a matter of when really. And then yeah. when we see that start to happen, we will know there's a call it three to six month uh, lead time before the market's really going to take off before the market's really going to take off again. So I'm excited for, yeah. I'm excited for that. So, uh, I am too. You, yeah. So, so the election made, we haven't discussed this a whole lot other than the fact that, you know, we both hate it. Um, <laughs> how do you think, how do you think November and the closer we get to November will affect the real estate market into, in terms of buyer demand? You know, I think you and I are a little bit different on this. And I mean, you honestly, you have more insight on the actual real estate side of it. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know that the election, my personal opinion is I don't know that it really does much to actual demand from do I want to buy or sell real estate? Um, I think it's just, it's, it's another event in our world that happens every four years. And that's, that's that. What I do think is historically rates get better uh, in an election year, and you know all signs keep pointing to rates are going to get better this year. And obviously, that's not just because it's an election, but you know political pressures and, and things definitely can play into all of that. So I think uh, overall, if rates do continue to come down and rates are somewhat too significantly better this year, I think that does impact demand. Um, there's a question in here uh, from Ben asking, at what point does market normalize again with rates 5 6% uh, or, or what? Um, I think that, and you talked about memes earlier, you know, there's that one meme where the guy's running down the street and it says mortgage rates at 7% and then someone else joins and it's mortgage rates at 65 and then a few more people join and it's mortgage rates at 6 and so on and so forth. You know, I think when if if we see a five handle, um, I think that's going to drive a lot more demand. Um, you know, so that's that's really we'll see what it does. Again, I think rates are going to be better. Uh, are the, is it do they get low enough to drive a lot more demand? Is the question. But I don't think that the election itself necessarily dictates. Uh, oh, we're going to sell more houses or not. So. Um... Yeah, I mean, the, the reason why I feel like, I mean, one, it's hard not to, uh, your morale to be affected by the news cycle, right? I, I've done everything I can to just opt out of the news because I don't think it's productive. Um, but still, you know, you see stuff come across your screen. And generally speaking, whenever you have, uh, you know, two candidates campaigning, I don't care what you think about the candidates. I don't care about which election you are discussing. Um, the The... the uh, the challenger is trying to tell everyone how bad uh, things are because they because they want to win, and so what that what that does is it causes consumer sentiment, consumer confidence to decline. And uh, I have the trading economics uh, consumer sentiment uh, 
website pulled up, right? Our consumer confidence website pulled up or sentiment, whatever, it doesn't matter. And I'm looking at 2020 and 2020 is a really weird year um, because it just dropped in March, April, and then it stayed pretty much low throughout, throughout, the, rest, throughout the rest of the year. So we had a pandemic that, that caused that. Um, you know, I, I won't try to do this live, I don't think, um, but it would be interesting to look at 2016, 2012, 2008. Um, I'm looking at 2016 right now. And I'll share screen really quickly. This isn't definitive by any means, but it's sort of the idea that I have. Um, you know, the the poor news cycle tends to just beat things down. And you can see the year started low for some reason, went up, and then starts going down in October. Then there's the election, and it starts going it starts going back up as the news cycle kind of you know kind of normalizes. That was a weird year too, because it was a year that whatever you think of him, it's a year that Trump was elected, and um, there's a lot of strong concern. And I think that's why it bounced so heavily in November, um, whenever the world didn't like literally end. Um, but it'd be interesting and I'll, I'll do that. I'll look into, uh, you know, the numbers basically on the past, or the past election years. Um, you certainly hear that anecdotally from most agents that, oh, it's an election year and uh, it's gonna be slow be because of that. People too, do tend to get, not, not everyone, but a percentage of people do tend to get consumed by the news cycle. And that's why I won't be surprised. Sorry to keep going on and on about this, but you know, it also coincides with seasonality. So we always, everybody's always surprised whenever demand, you know, falls through the floor in August, September. Happens every year, right? The elections in November. What else is in November? The holidays, right? So you're going into you're going into the season where we generally don't sell a whole lot. Uh, I don't know if you're looking at what do you do actionably. I don't think it really changes anything. I think you say make hay while the sun shines. Um, we know that that's the busy, you know call it March through June is the busy time of the year anyways, you should probably try to sell as many houses as you possibly can. You should probably push your vacations back um, to, you know, October, November of that, of that year. So. Yep. It's when ski season is anyways, Max, I don't know why anybody vacations anytime besides the slow time of the year. So, Hey, you know, um, I'm, what, what, can, what can I say? I've been, I, I've been skiing once. And when I go on vacation, I'm not really on vacation anymore. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to work. What can I say? Um, I do think it's important and you and I didn't really talk about this. Um, and I know we're kind of coming up on time, but I think it's important for everybody to remember 20, 21, 22 were super easy. You didn't have to do a whole lot. Second half of 22 and certainly all of 23 really put you to the test on what you had to do to be successful in this business. You and I talked uh, at ABOR last year and pretty much all year to anybody that would listen, a successful year is still being in this business. Right. It didn't really matter how much you sold, how much you made. But it's extremely important that everybody remember the lessons that we learned in 2023 and the things that you did to generate business, to generate conversations, to get your name out there. Don't stop doing that. Keep all of that stuff in motion. It's there. I, I already, I've seen some of it start to happen already with folks where, okay, things are getting busy. Now I got to focus on this. Always do what works and don't stop just because it's working. Lean into it more. Whether you have to time block or get an assistant, whatever it is. Don't stop doing the things that have helped you get business now because that is how you will grow as we come out of 
where we were and, and move into the next chapter of, of this business. So, yeah. you know, it's, I think it's really, really important for people to remember that and keep, keep what, that in mind and, and don't stop. So what I feel like, so when the market goes down, which it has, right, it forces you to, to, to become more efficient in a number of ways. So if you have a lot of expenses, it forces you to take a hard look at your expenses and to cut the wasteful stuff. Um, it forces you to look at what's really effective and to do more of that if you want to stay, if you want to stay in business. When the market is good, you can be sloppy. I'm not saying it makes you bad necessarily. You can be an amazing agent, an amazing LO, but you can certainly be sloppy. You can certainly waste a lot of time on things that are not effective, that are just fun and convince yourself that that's, that that's work. Um, but hopefully, like you said, you've learned, hopefully everyone has learned some lessons in 2023 in terms of this is what really works for me. And what you and I've talked about before, you know, looking really hard at what does work for you is generally step one. And it always surprises me how few people take a hard analysis, take a hard look at that and really analyze. Um, you and I interviewed uh, Brittany Hodak, who's amazing. Love her to death, love her book. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she, she absolutely gets it. I mean, for, you know, for somebody, um, to have laid it out so clearly is the only surprising, is the only surprising thing about that. Um, because it's pretty obvious to most, to most business owners and she just does a great job with it. And Max, you mentioned that the, uh, uh book is, uh, it's, it's creating super fans and it's something that if you haven't read it, <laughs> I bought 15 of them the other day. Uh, to give away, to give away. <laughs> yes. And hey, I will bind this. Um, unfortunately, only uh, real estate agents in the Austin area. Um, if you want, to, if you promise me you'll read it and you'll discuss it with me afterwards, I will buy you the the book or the audiobook. Like out there, just hit me up, Eric at Bramwood Without Me. I'm happy to do that. I just want to hear what you think of it, um, and we can chat about it. But go, but back to it. You know, uh, Brittany was discussing. Uh, it was a, a tech company. Uh, who was uh, systematically tracking referrals for a relatively low cost good, right? And uh, and they had to have tracking codes on it and all this stuff, but people make impulse decisions when they do that stuff. So it's much easier to make those sales. And Max, you mentioned, you said, oh, well, we track all of that. Um, we have to do it manually. It's impossible for you guys to do it with like a tracking code or anything like that. And it's impossible for any real estate agent to do that with a tracking code. You have to do it manually. And um, my my insight was that, you know, uh, most real estate agents, if you're really doing well, you're going to close between 24 and 36 deals a year. And like good agents are generally between, you know, one deal a month, 12, 12 and 36. Doesn't mean those are the only good agents, but that's generally where it is. So let's call it on the high side. You have 36 deals you need to track every year and like look in a spreadsheet and see how did I get those who referred them to me? Um, let's, let's jump it up. Let's say you have 50 transactions you need, you need to do that with. Um, how long would you think that, how long would that take you and Dana to code 50 transactions, do you think? Not that long. And here's, I mean, the, here's, the, here's the thing, and here's, here was why I was like, oh, wow. Um, how many transactions do you guys code every single year? Well, last year we probably coded, off the top of my head, 3,000. <laughs> That's right. And, <laughs> and what, was, what was cool about it was that you thought it was a no-brainer. You know, you said, well, one, it didn't take very much time. And I'm sure it took, you know, a decent amount of time. I think that your reaction was it didn't take very much time whenever you compare it to the amount of value that we get, that we get out of it. I mean, how valuable well, the thing is, you're a systems guy, you're a processes guy, right? Like the thing is, what took a lot of time is setting up the system to be able to do that. But now, anytime a lead comes in, 
the loan officer is selecting the lead source, right. whether it's Yelp, Google, whatever, or who the agent is, or is it a repeat client? And so we've set up our systems to where it's one click. It's one click. So if you're doing that as the lead comes in, you know, that that makes it a lot easier. You don't have to sit down separately and go do 3,000 deals, 3,000 leads. It's as they come in, they're being coded either by the loan officer or by the, what we call the concierge team. But it, it takes no time to do that because everybody does it. And it's you have to talk to this person anyway. You have to take notes. Right. So if you if you don't have a systematic way of keeping track of all of your uh, leads, um, how they came in, notes, all of that. That, I mean, that that's step one. But once you have that system in place, it's very easy to just tag it. And then, right. uh, you know, uh, however, so, if you do it on an Excel sheet, make a, make a pivot table. Well, exactly. And I'm going to sh actually show an Excel sheet in a second. But what whenever you and I talked the other day, I think it was a couple of days ago that we, we chatted about this. And, you know, I whenever whenever our business took off, uh, it was whenever we built Transactify, which was just a it was just a DA system. And I, I've always been obsessive about coding company leads because we take more revenue on the company leads. Um, and that's whenever we looked at it at the end of the year and said, oh my gosh, well, we got X amount from this and Y amount from this. And like, we should invest more here, less here, things like that. Um, where I, after we got off the call, and I didn't mention this to you, where I felt like um, I had a big opportunity for growth was to start uh, really encouraging the agents to do that on their personal deals. On the, you know, I've always encouraged people to do that in terms of motivation, but I haven't really uh, sort of given that extra push on every transaction. Oh, you just turned in a transaction and I saw you coded at this, who was the referral source? You know, And at the end of the year, you look at that and you go, oh, great, well, you know, uh, Randy gave me four deals last year. I should probably take Randy out to lunch and buy him something nice, you know, something, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so that's something where I saw room for improvement based on, our, based on our conversation. What we've done in the past and what I would encourage every agent to do is uh, we floated to our, to our agents, we said, hey, would you like for us to do a transaction analysis? I'm sorry, a, 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 an income uh, deal analysis for you. And we sent him a spreadsheet. We ended up with six agents. Uh, we analyzed 304 deals and I'll share screen again, just really quickly so everybody can kind of see what we came up with. Um, and this is the, what we call our what works effort and we'll do it again. So whenever the agents sent it over to me, um, I just cleaned it up. You know, there were a lot of things that would say like referral, past client. Well, that's SOI, both of them are. And there was no surprise that uh, 43%, 43% were SOI whenever we looked at the, uh, you know, the least simple version of this, then we simplified it even further. And when you simplify it even further, where you then add in like agent referrals, things like that, and SOI, it became 49.3%. Um, and then the simplest version, when we looked at it, it was 49.3% was SOI. A company provided leads at 36%. And by the way, we spend, I mean, seven figures on company leads and still SOI crushes it. And then everything yeah. else was 14 was 14 and a half percent. So the very, very simple takeaway, which unfortunately um, is not that exciting, <laughs> but but it, it is if you say, OK, I'm going to act on this, is that most of your business probably comes from SOI. Um, and that's where you should probably focus most of your efforts. And Max, like, you know, I used to joke that you built a massive business on cake balls and it's not that simple. But, you know, you guys have done such a great job of segmenting your database. And then, you know, staying in touch and creating super fans of agents and past clients. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's thank you for that. Um, it's it's definitely a huge passion of ours, um, which is, you know, 
why I love Brittany's book. Uh, you and I haven't even talked, but I did have the opportunity to meet her in person recently. And awesome. it was, I it was awesome. To. Yeah. Hope you, did you tell her I said hi? I hope. I did. Yeah. She, she was amazing. Um, you know, but the thing is, is like, and I, I talk about this a lot. SOI is super easy. Like when you go to the grocery store and you hear someone talking, do you say something? You know, I walk around everywhere with loan people gear on. Right. And we give loan people gear out to everybody, but everybody in my life knows what I do. Everybody. I talk about it all the time. I live it. I breathe it like all the time. The lady that cuts my hair, the, you know, if I go get my beard, whatever it is, everybody knows what I do. And that is one of the easiest things that a loan officer or realtor or any other person in a business can do. Does everybody in your world know, right? Like how many times does a realtor or a loan officer see that a friend uh, or someone they went to high school with or whatever bought a house and like, well, why didn't they use me? <laughs> a lot of times it's because they didn't even realize that that's what you do. They didn't think about you. You're not top of mind. Um, and so it's there's there's a lot of just really easy things that you can do to just let everybody in your orbit know. Right. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, there are people that get afraid to talk about outside of work, uh, talk about work outside of work. But, uh, you know, I think it's always work. You're, you're always like, yes, we all do this for a living and we all do this to make money. And no, we're not a nonprofit. But at the end of the day, if your goal is just to make money, then you'll do OK. But if your goal is to help people and you really are passionate about what you do, it's not work to talk about it. Right. I mean, how often do you and I just get on the phone and talk about it? Whatever it is, uh, you know, that's, I enjoy it. It is, I can't believe I'm about to say this. It's relaxing to me. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, but that's, that's, I'm, tell me about it. Um, you know, but even like we have friends that reach out to me all the time and they're like, hey, what are rates doing or what is going on? And they're not even in the business. They just want to know, you know, and it's like, I can talk about this stuff all day long. I'm passionate about it. I love it. And, you know, if, if other people, if you bring that energy and that passion to what you're doing, people are going to know. And again, that just comes back to your, your SOI and people just knowing like, okay, you're the go-to. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, I'm excited about 2024. I'm as excited about 2025. I, I do think uh, that, you know, last year was very hard. No question. No question about it. Um, I know that you, uh, approached it very intelligently, did what you had to do. Um, I like to think that we did as well. And I'm very excited to start reaping some of those benefits in 2024. And it's not going to stop. It's it's something that we will, you know, hopefully make yeah. more gains in 24 uh, you, you, than you out there, So I don't know if you're talking, but I, I agree. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited for this year. I'm excited for what's in store. Uh, the Loan People platform is honestly, man, it's better than ever. We're direct Fannie Freddie. We have our servicing approvals. Um, like there's, we are, <laughs> we are a big boy mortgage company, you know, just like you, we're growing, we're ready to add folks um, and help, help take them to the next level. Like I'm just, I'm very, very excited about everything that's, that's coming our way, the industry way, uh, your way. So, well, you know, here's well, to, here's to 2024. Absolutely. We'll bro out for a second. It's been really neat. Um, for, to watch both of our businesses grow 
you know, on a relatively same you know, like timeline. I always joke, I mean, yours is, uh, I always joke that we can like just 3X whatever it is I'm doing. Uh, and that's the size of what you guys, what you guys are doing. So maybe I'll catch up one of these days, but you know, I'm not that motivated anyways. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, this was great. Um, I want to do a lot more of these this yeah. year. Um, we've had some good ones, uh, you know, um, vacation, vacation's over yeah, uh, for the most part. So we need to do this more regularly. Um, you know, I have for everybody that... I have some ideas for some guests, obviously. I'd love to chat about chat with you about it on, offline. Um, I'd love to hear yep. from the audience. If anyone has, you know, any guests or guest types, you know, we, we try to um, stay kind of outside of the real estate industry when we do this stuff. We like to bring, you know, people from other uh, other industries in because we feel like those are a lot of, a lot of like fresh ideas and whatnot. Um, but we'd love to hear from you guys. If there's anybody you guys would like for us to have on, we'd love to reach out to them. Yeah. Topics too, uh, you know, it doesn't always have to be real estate, um, you know, but uh, we really much, really very much appreciate all you guys that listen um, either live or the recordings or listen to the podcast, um, you know, your support uh, is greatly appreciated, both with that and in our everyday business. So Absolutely. thank you all very much. Absolutely. Max, thanks a ton, man. I'm sure we'll talk really, really soon. I'm very much looking forward to the next one of these. So thank you. Yeah, me too. See you guys. See you later. All right, so we got it.